All right, so we're going to get started. Sorry to break up good conversation. I always hate doing that. So please remember where you are in your conversation and continue it afterwards. We really want you to stay as long as you want. Um, we love um, seeing you all getting to know each other and catching up. That's a, that's a really good thing. So today we are continuing on walking through our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And um, we're in Matthew 7, verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Um, that's where we're going to start today. And if you're new with us um, here at Providence Road, usually what we do is go through books of the Bible verse by verse. That's, that's kind of our philosophy of preaching. We think that's uh, the best way to communicate God's Word and really help everyone ha- uh, develop the habit of spending time in the Word. Okay, so we're in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. If you want to read along, um, there are, and you don't have a Bible with you, um, there are on the screens, obviously, but if you want a physical Bible and you don't have one, there's a Bible in about every other seat scattered about the room. If you don't have one um, at home, please take that home. That's our gift to you. We think everyone should have a Bible at home that they can read. So let's read Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we say every week we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that your God in your grace and your mercy has chosen to reveal yourself to humans through your word, and we're, we're thankful for that. We can know you because of your word. So I pray that your spirit would help us this morning understand the text, um, help us um, believe the words that Jesus are saying to a greater degree this morning, and I pray that your spirit would help us as we um, attempt to live the truths of the Bible out this week. We love you. It's for our good and your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So in this particular passage today, Jesus is going to address the topic of prayer. He's going to address the topic of prayer. And, and, and prayer is a, it's a difficult thing, right? Like prayer is um, like the eating healthy of the spiritual disciplines, right? Like we, we know we should do it. We know the benefits that come from um, spending time in prayer. Um, we know it's, it's, it's a way that we connect with God, but for so many of us, prayer is really, really hard. It's a hard discipline to, to create and to maintain. I mean, all my years of, of being a Christian, as I've talked to people and got to know people, um, I meet very few people where prayer just comes really naturally. Like I'm talking to them and they see how yeah, prayer is, is easy for me. doesn't require a lot of energy or intentionality. I just I'm just kind of a praying person. Like, I, I don't hear that much. And I, I'm in, in that boat. Like, I, it's hard for me. It takes intentionality. It takes energy and effort. And it was the same for the guys who hung out with Jesus, right? You have these, these guys who followed Jesus around for the better part of three years, and they needed teaching. 
They needed Jesus to show them how to pray. They actually asked him at several points, hey, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And just like they needed to be taught, we need to be taught as well. And that's what's going to happen today. But just because prayer is hard, I don't want to dismiss it or treat it like we, we can't get there. I, I know we may have a long way to go in this area, but it shouldn't mean we can't strive to grow and, and learn in this area. So let's, let's do that to, this morning as we look at Jesus' words on prayer. Uh, me with you together do this. And I want to say really quickly for those maybe people in the room who, who aren't Christians, who maybe don't have a relationship with God, we're going to talk about prayer this morning through the lens of being a Christian. But here's a question I want you to wrestle with and ask yourself, maybe as we go through this, who do you appeal to? What someone or something do you appeal to outside of yourself on a day-to-day basis just to get through a day? Or especially when things are, are not going well, when you're, when you're suffering or in the midst of a difficult season, who do you go to? Who do you appeal to? And I think that's a really... Um, good question for any human being. So if you're not a Christian, um, I, I just pray that you would think through that um, over the next 30 minutes or so as we walk through this. So like I said, we're in the middle of this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is answering really the question through the Sermon on the Mount, how does a human being flourish in this life? How does a human being fly, find ultimate freedom and joy and hope and happiness in this life? and the next life, which the Bible calls heaven or, or eternity. Okay, so how does that happen? How does that work? That's what Jesus is driving at through um, the Sermon on the Mount as we've been walking through it. And last week, we looked at the passage, kind of a, a difficult, odd passage, um, where Jesus is teaching us how to discern or evaluate one another in relationships. The Bible uses the word to judge. Like, how do we, how do we, make accurate judgments of one another in the context of, of relationship, right? And it's important because these two passages are connected. And at first glance, it, it may not seem like they're connected because um, you just read them at face value and it seems like it's two disjointed things that Jesus is teaching on, but Jesus doesn't do that, right? This is a sermon. This is one sermon. So Jesus has a point. He's got um, a, a plan for getting through this sermon. So we need to ask, how are these two things connected? And it feels like verses 7 through 11, which we'll look at here in a second, are kind of dropped in, um, in in a strange spot here. I think verse 12, when we get to it at the end, is going to help us tie it all together. So if you were here last week, I want you to see the connection between last week and this week, because this is one sermon. The other thing Jesus assumes, um, as we, I think, are reading today's passage, he assumes when he says, ask and seek and knock, in the context of prayer, he's assuming that we understand our identity in in God, our identity in Christ as it relates to God. So we're going to spend some time uh, first going into that before we get to Matthew 7. So let's look at Galatians 4, 3 through 7. This is Paul's letter to a a church in Galatia, and um, he is is unpacking here what it means to be um, really a child in Christ, okay? Verse 3, in the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And what Paul is saying here, he's just saying we were controlled by the world. The, the worldviews and ideas and elementary principles is broad. It's just like everything in our world, we were enslaved to that. We really didn't have a choice. We didn't know any better. 
That, that it was controlling for us. Every whim, every new idea or thought or, or way came along. We were enslaved to that and we followed. Verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, like, like us, born into this world to redeem those who were under the law, really separated from God, um, not having anything to do with our sin. What do we do with our sin? That's what Paul's getting at here. And it's so that we might receive adoption as sons, okay? So Jesus comes into our world, lives a perfect life that we could not have lived, dies a death in our place, and then was brought back three days later from the dead, rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And it's through that process that Jesus takes upon our sin, upon him, absorbs that sin, absorbs God's wrath and the punishment for our sin, and we get Jesus's righteousness. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but we get Jesus's righteousness. So when God looks at us now, he doesn't see our righteousness, he sees Jesus's righteousness that has been credited to us. And so that is, we're saved at that point, we're justified. We can stand before a holy God and be made right. That is really, really good news, but the good news doesn't stop there. This this is what Paul is trying to get at here. He doesn't just save us. He brings us into his family. He adopts us as sons. Could he have just saved us and not, we not been a family member of God? Yeah, but he chose to go the extra step and actually bring us into his family. We're sons now. Let's look at verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of us. And that Holy Spirit's one of his main jobs or roles is to help us experience the love of the Father. That relational aspect that we have with God that we talk about so much, that happens through the spirit. The spirit's inside of us. And Paul even says here that the spirit actually is crying out, Abba, Father. The Spirit's talking to God on our behalf all the time. It's what the Spirit does. And that's really, really good news. He's given us, he's made his sons, and he's given us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of us. Let's look at verse 7. So, so because of all of that, Paul says, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but you're a son. You're a daughter. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. We're heirs. And that's a big word, Aaron. We don't want to skip over it. We're heirs. We're, the scripture says we're co-heirs with Christ. And what that means is God gave Jesus everything. When Jesus rose from the dead, God said, it's yours. So Jesus has, he's, he's, he's in possession of the whole world, right? And when we're, co- we're not sub-heirs, we're not lesser heirs, we're actually co-heirs with Jesus which means that everything that belongs to Jesus, all the blessings that come from God the Father, we now have access to. There are blessings. All the beauty and wonderful things that God created in the, earth, in the world that, that are there to bring us freedom and joy, the good gifts, all the good things, we have access to those things because we're co-heirs with Christ. Not because we did something great, not because we worked really, really hard, but purely because of God's grace and mercy found in the person and work of Jesus. We're heirs. We're sons. We're daughters. 
The benefits we have, we have freedom, we have security, we have a new title. We have boldness now to approach the perfect, holy, creator God of the universe. We can approach him with boldness and authority and ask things of him. We have an intimacy with him. We have relationship with him because we're part of his family. When we suffer affliction and we go through tough seasons and we, we're, we're in pain we know now that those things work together for our good. There's actually a purpose behind the bad things that happen to us, even though we don't understand them all the time. But because we're a child of God, God knows. He knows our life. He knows what we're going through, and all that is working together for our good. It's what Romans says. Let's look at a couple other passages. First uh, John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Zephaniah 3:17, a little obscure passage in the Minor Prophets, but this is a this is a great great verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's he's there. He's with you. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you. Listen to this. With loud singing. Did you know that? Like right now, God the Father, if you are a follower of Jesus, God the Father is singing over you. He delights in you. He has a smile on his face as he looks at his, his, his sons and daughters on earth. He loves you. He loves you. And here's the deal. Do we believe this? Like, as followers of Jesus in this room, do you believe all of the things that I just said are true of you? Really, do you believe? Do you believe you're loved? Do you believe you're a child of God? And I think this is the, really important for prayer. I don't think we can become a people of prayer if we don't first understand our position as it relates to God. We're his children. We're loved. So let's now walk through Matthew 7, knowing that, knowing our identity before him as followers of Jesus. Ver, chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is first emphasizing here in verses 7 and 8 especially that, that we need to ask, right? Like there are three um, invitations that he repeats twice, right? Like so he says it twice. Um, they're invitations, they're commands. He says, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. He's, he's telling us what to do, and he's very clear, right? Our role as followers of Jesus and children of God is to ask God for things, right? Go seek him. Go knock. Go find him. Go pursue him. And then on top of those three invitations, there are actually seven promises just in these verses, seven promises, and they're all connected to these, these, uh, these pursue words. It'll be given to you. Uh, you'll find. It'll be open to you. Who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it'll be open. Those are promises. In verse 11, um, it ends with, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you or give good gifts to those who ask him? There's another promise. So we have three places where God is telling us to, to, to initiate this. We, we should be active in this. This is an active process. We should go pursue God in prayer. We should go to him. 
We should take our request to him. Okay, this is, this is what Jesus is trying to drive at here. And we pursue because we're, we're children, right? And Jesus says this multiple times in the gospels. He says, let the little children come to me. To, to the children belongs the kingdom of heaven. Why does he say this? Because he wants us to have the posture of children. He wants to, to, us to come to the Father as dependent children. And those of you who've had children, especially young ones, what do, what do kids do? They ask and they ask and they ask and they ask some more, right? I have a three-year-old. Like I know this from the time that kids develop words or even before they develop words, they just cry when they want something. But once they develop words and they get good at those words, it, I mean, it is all the time is asking and asking and asking. This is how they see us. And it, and it should make us feel good in some sense because in, in at least my three-year-old's little mind, I'm a God-like figure in his life. He believes, he truly believes that I can get anything he wants. And he asks that with confidence. He says, I want this. Like I'm like the guy who can just provide anything to him, right? And it's good because I, hopefully I've provided some track record in his three years that tells him, hey, daddy and mommy actually give me things that I need so I know I have confidence to go back to them and ask for these things, right? It's like, this is the relationship between a parent and child. And Jesus talks about this here. It, it, every single thing that we do as parents, like good, like parents who are marginally good, right, on earth, like we, we want to give good gifts to our children. Like we don't know what they need all the time. We're not perfect in seeing these things and really knowing all the time, um, what our children need in those moments, but our intentions are good for the most part. Like our intentions are good. I mean, even, even parents who aren't maybe great parents or who are unhealthy parents, I think deep down they still have this intention of they want good things for their children. They really do. And what God is saying here, I mean, what Jesus is saying here in, in verses 9 and 10 and 11, he's comparing earthly parents to God. And he calls us evil. And it's not necessarily meaning we're evil, but in comparison to a perfect and holy, righteous God, we are evil. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make all sorts of mistakes in raising my son, Jax. It's just going to happen. Like, I'm trying. I have good intentions. But when it comes to God, when I'm put up against God, as far as how great of a father I am, I do look evil because God is so wonderful. And he's so great. And he good, gives good gifts. The other part of this, if you're parents, you should get this. Like, you, you just want, you just desire to give good gifts to your kids. Like, I, for, for our son, Jax, like, I, I would give him anything. Like, that little dude has got me, right? Like, I just want the best for him. I just want him to have, like, the best life. I want to give him all the good gifts, right? And so I, 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 we need to feel this, this comparison that Jesus is making here especially those of you who are parents, I think get this. And that, sh that, 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 that almost like animalistic instinct you have to protect your kids, you're evil in that way compared to God. You're, we're not even close when it comes to loving our kids as it compares to a perfect and holy God. Now, how does this relate to prayer? Let's, let's talk about the definition of prayer. I think this is important before we really get into this, talking about prayer more. Um, this is a very simplified version um, on purpose. I want to keep it simple. Um, one pastor said it this way. He said, prayer is a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of relationship. It's a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of relationships. And we know this, right? Like relationships are built on asking 
and receiving, asking and listening, talking and listening, right? Like this, this just is, is any good relationship has those components. And if so, if we're in relationship with God, I think the most simple definition of prayer should be just a conversation. Now, some of you will hear this when I say that simplified definition. You may say, well, how do I do this? Like, I'm not doing this. I don't understand this. How does this work? And I would ask you a question in return. Again, to simplify it, I would say, how do you talk to your spouse if you're married? How do you talk to them? If I just asked you, how, how do you communicate with your spouse? You would, it, that comes naturally to us, right? Most, hopefully, most of the time, we're communicating well. Uh, not all, all times in marriages we do that, right? But we communicate well, and it's pretty natural. It's like, I love them. I care about them, so I talk to them, and I listen to them when they talk to me. It comes pretty natural. Same thing with, with your kids, or with your parents, or with your brother and sister, or with your roommates. Like, how do, you, how do you converse with them? How do you spend time with them? Well, it's through talking. It's a back and forth. This is what prayer is. It's primarily about relationship. I don't want to overcomplicate this at the beginning. Um, there are some things we can do to help ourselves and grow and understand prayer at a deeper level, of course. But the foundation of prayer is relationship. Another question you may ask is, when should I pray? When should I pray? If, if we're supposed to pray, when should I pray? I would, again, ask a question. How often do we have needs? How often do you and I have needs? Like all day, right? Like I need to be less anxious. I need to, be, I need to have wisdom for um, how, how I'm going to handle this conversation. I need to, uh, whatever it is, we have needs all day long. So we should just pr- be praying all the time. We should be having this conversation with God all the time. Paul in a book, Thessalon- Thessalonians in the New Testament, says um, we should Pray without ceasing, Paul says. Pray all the time. Because if I'm in a relationship with someone, there's this consistency that we're talking to one another. Should we pray when we, when we eat and before we go to bed and before we open our Bible and when things get really, really tough and hard? Yes, absolutely. We should pray in those times because I think those uh, are good ha- habits to form. But if that's the only time we pray... Uh, I don't think that's a, a healthy relationship. Like if, if Nicole and I, you were to observe our, our life, if, if we only talk to each other at meals and right before bed or when things got really, really hard, if you were observing our, relation, our marriage relationship, you would say, eh, that's not, that's not really healthy. It doesn't seem like you are communicating enough with one another to have intimacy, to have value, to, to have the benefits of being married to one another. It's the same thing with God. This is about a relationship. And I'll just say that if, if, if you're in this room and you're struggling with intimacy with God, like if when we mention that word like relationship with God, if that feels odd and out of place and like that's just something you don't even know what, what it feels like, I would say the first place you should focus on is your prayer life. I think this is maybe one of for sure, but maybe the most important piece of our Christian life when it comes to actually knowing God relationally, not knowing facts about him, not knowing Bible verses about him, which are good, but actually knowing him in relationship as our father. So if that's just an encouragement, like if, if, if that always feels weird to you in church when we bring that relationship or walking with God or intimacy with God, it may be a deficiency um, when it comes to your prayer life. Now, let's talk about verse 12. At the end, we're going to talk a few practicals here. I want to address verse 12 because this is um, what will connect last week and this week. So verse 12 says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what is commonly referred to as the golden rule, the golden rule. Um, now, this is strange because uh, 
most commentators, as they're, as they're working through this, think that, wonder, why didn't Jesus put this um, up before this passage on prayer? Because what this verse is doing, it's, it's summarizing all of Jesus' teachings really in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? It's this, this ethical summary. He's, he's boiling it all down to one verse. He's saying, do unto others that you, that you wish they would do unto you. And that is summarizing a lot of the ethical teachings that Jesus has been giving throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Because most of the Sermon on the Mount's teachings talk about how we relate kind of in our relationships in our life. Okay? And so Jesus is kind of summarizing this. And we'll see next week in verse 13, there's kind of a, 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 a corner that's turned um, in the sermon. So this is a summary verse. But so the question for me is, why, Jesus, did you teach this five-verse five thing on prayer here? And I think what he's doing is, is he knows that to live any of the Sermon on the Mount out in these ethics and how to live, and especially this golden rule, we need help. Like, these teachings are hard if you go to the Sermon on the Mount. They're hard. They're hard to live out. They're hard to do. We need help. We need to be dependent upon God to be able to help us live this out. So I think that Jesus is kind of like, before I wrap this up, let me give you something that will help you be able to live the rest of this out. And most commentators think that that's um, kind of, it makes sense of how this passage is connected to, um, to, to uh, previous weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this golden rule for a second, um, this, this comes up, this similar ideas and rules come up in different religions and worldviews. Um, and they, they have different names as far as kind of theological historians look at this stuff. And so there's something also called a wooden rule that's been named. And this rule, kind of as proverbial wisdom says, um, basically like do unto others as they do unto you, right? So it's similar to the golden rule, but it's basically like if, if somebody's nice to you, be nice to them. If somebody's mean to you, be mean to them. So it's like this, like, just, just kind of do unto others as they're doing to you. And I think as followers of Jesus, sometimes, at least the positive side of that, we're nice to people, but it's in reaction to them being nice to us first. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here, right? It's not what Jesus is teaching. And then there's another um, kind of rule that comes up in different traditions and different religions. And um, theologians have called this the silver rule because it's a step under the golden rule. It, it has some similarities, um, but it basically says the things that you don't want done to you don't do to other people. So it's basically the golden rule put in the negative. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's some truth into that, but it's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, he's saying, so whatever that you wish, so this isn't something that people have done to you yet. It's just, hey, the way you want to be treated, you take the initiative and actually go treat them like that first. So man, I want to be loved. I wish somebody would love me. Then go love somebody. Go, go, go encourage someone if that's you. Don't wait for them to do that to you. It just says, so whatever that you wish that others would do to you, go do it unto them. Like, initiate that. And there's also no promise here of ever getting anything in return, right? So it's not, it's not an exchange. Jesus just says, hey, go encourage people. Go love people. If they don't do it back, so what? I mean, that's, Jesus isn't saying that here. It's not dependent upon other people's actions, okay? So that's, I just wanted to tie that in and not skip over that verse before we kind of turn the corner next week. So let's talk about why um, asking or why praying is hard. Okay, and there's three things that I think will help us practically a little bit. Because I could give you practical things on prayer. And I think some of those things would help. But at the end of the day, at least for me, it really comes back to motivation, how I view God, 
how I view myself in light of who God is. I think really the, the battle for prayer is won at those levels. So let's talk about, let's talk at that level for a second. Uh, pride. Okay, pride. I think pride is an enemy to prayer. And here's what I mean. I think it takes a lot of humility to pray. But just think about what we're doing. We're, you know, most postures, bowing our heads, closing our eyes. That's a very, that's a very humble posture, right? And we're basically saying, I can't do this. I need your help. God, I need your help to do whatever I'm asking for. I'm not sufficient to do this. I'm weak when it comes to this. And in our culture and society, admitting weakness, admitting that you're not sufficient to go take your, take your life in your own hands and make something of yourselves and achieve and be great and have this ambition. Those things aren't all bad. But when it comes to prayer, we need to humble ourselves and say, I'm not sufficient. I'm insufficient to do the things you're calling me to do, God. I need help. And some of us just need to take the time to stop, stop achieving, stop performing, not roll out of bed and go, but actually take a few moments at least and just recognize, God, I need you. I can't live the life that I want to live and that you want me to live without you. I need you. And that takes a lot of humility to actually be dependent upon another person. But remember, we're children. We're children in, in this relationship. We come to God in dependence. The second thing I think has two ways we look at it, but um, God doesn't care. That's the second kind of barrier. God doesn't care. One way we see this is that God is distant. He doesn't care, especially about my little problems. Why would he care about the mundane things that happen every day? So I'm not going to really bother him. I can't really see him. I don't really, I don't really know him well. So I'm just not going to take the little things in my life to him. And hopefully we've seen as, as children of God, God cares about all of us. He knows every hair on our head. He loves us. Like, I don't want Jax to come to me only when there's some big issue. Obviously, I want him to come to me in those moments, but I, I want all of him, right? I, I want him to come to me when, on the little things and when he's celebrating and when he's happy and when he's sad. Like, I want all of him. And remember, I'm an evil father in comparison to God. So how much more will God listen to you in everything, in everything? The other way that we, this God doesn't care play out is I think we think to ourselves that, well, God didn't answer my prayer for this. God doesn't care about blank. My life hasn't turned out the way I wanted it. Therefore, God must not be good or he must not be powerful enough to do anything about my life. I'm still anxious. I'm still depressed. I'm still sad. I'm still an angry person and God's not doing anything about it. So I'm just, I'm not going to go to him. Like I'm not, and, and I understand that. I think we all understand those seasons where we're disappointed because we feel like God doesn't hear us. And this really comes down to the question of what happens or what do we do when God doesn't give us what we want? Like we, when we know we need something or we think we need something in the moment, we want that from God and we don't get it. Well, the first thing we have to remember is that we're not God, right? In the moment, we feel like almost certainty that I know this would be the best thing for me. God, if you're good, that it makes sense that you would give me this, okay? But we don't know what's best for us, really. Like, we don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring us. Like, we, we really don't know what's best for us. We're short-sighted. We're finite. We're not God. So there's some level, once again, of humility when we ask God for these things. And I think built into this teaching here, Jesus gives us this with the, ser the, the serpent and the fish illustration. Like sometimes from God's point of view, the infinite outside of time, all good and knowing God, he knows when we ask for something, even if we think it's this is what we need right now, he's like, nope, it's not it. I've got something so much better for you if you wait. If 
I say no, then you've got some, like, in comparison to what God has for us, what if we're asking for a serpent? In our finite mind, we may think this is the best fish, right? Like, this is the fish I'm asking for. God's like, nope. In comparison to what I have for you, that's actually a serpent. And I'm a good father, so I'm not going to give you that right now. I'm only going to give you what I think is best for you, and that is the fish. Maybe it's unanswered prayer, or it's a delayed prayer, or it's not what the answer you wanted from God. Okay, and this is really, really hard. This is really hard. This is one of the hardest things, I think, about being a Christian and believing in God. It's this idea of prayer that doesn't get answered the way we want it. And the only thing that we have in those moments is trust. Is trust. Um, and it's not blind trust because we've been given the greatest gift that any human being could ever been given. And that's salvation, right? Like we can't forget that. Like we've been brought into the family of God. Our sins have been redeemed. All of those things that come with being co-heirs with Christ, those are ours. We have those gifts already. They are, they are ours. We've been given those gifts. So we can trust God knowing that he has already given me the best gift I could possibly ever could have received. So these other things that we're asking for are really all secondary. Even though in the moment they don't feel secondary, they feel primary. I understand, I get it. So there's some level of trust that has to be developed. One um, part of our story, those of you who know us well, we've, we're open with this, but my wife and I, we've, we've struggled with infertility for now over 12 years. Like we haven't been able to have biological children. And every night, almost every night, for 12 years, we've prayed that God would allow us to have biological children. And the, there's, there's no, um, where it's unexplained infertility from a medical standpoint, so the doctors don't know what's wrong. We just aren't having um, biological children. And we desire that, and we want that. And sometimes we don't trust well. There's seasons when I'm mad at God that I don't understand. There's some, re, there's some seasons where my trust is, is healthier and in a better place, but it doesn't make sense. So like, I can't, I can't connect the dots here. And why would you withhold something that we desire so much and what you, you want us to experience in the word, it seems like, to be, to be healthy fathers and mothers to children who need it, right? Um, and so we desire to have biological children. And so we wait and we trust and we hope. And sometimes the only thing we can go back to is Jesus. And we've been given the greatest gift. We really have. And, and we can trust God based off of that, that he is a good father. So I'm with you guys. I say that as, as pastorally as possible. Like those situations are the hardest when we feel like God is not answering a prayer we want to answer. But sometimes it comes back to trust and knowing the character of God. Lastly, um, the last barrier is we tend to pray based off of what we've done rather than who we are. Here's what I mean. We, some of us come to God and think, I've had a really great week. I've been really awesome. I've been really moral this week. I haven't done that sin that I'm always fighting. So I'm going to ask you, God, and I'm expecting that you kind of give me what I deserve in return. Kinda, it's like a business partner, like a slot machine. Like we put in the quarter of our good works, and now we expect God to give us something. God is not a business partner. He's a father. So it doesn't matter what we do or how we behave, he's going to hear us the same way. On the other side, if we've had a really bad week, right? Like we've fallen into that sin again. We're shameful, we're guilty, we feel horrible. Of course we're not gonna come to God in those moments because he's a business partner, right? If we're seeing him that way. So we don't experience intimacy. We feel shameful to approach him. But again, I, Jax, let's say Jax, using my son as an example again, like, like he, I, 
he can come to me anytime. I don't care how he's behaved. I don't care what he's like, how bad of a day he's had. He can wake me up at 3 a.m. for anything. Why? Because he's my son. Not based off of what he's done, but his position as it relates to me. He's in relationship with me as a son. Therefore, I'm going to do everything I can to meet his need. Not based off of what he's done. So we have to be careful, and this is sneaky, that we don't approach prayer as a transaction. And because of what we've done, we can get God to do what we really want. Because it's just going to mess us up on both sides. We're going to get frustrated if God doesn't give us what we want because we've been awesome. Or we're just never going to come to him and just be sitting in our shame and never come to him when we desperately need it most, right? When we're shameful, when we feel guilty, that's when we need God most. We pray based off of who we are, based off of what Jesus has done, not because what we've done, okay? So when we pray, this is my, this is my prayer. When we don't pray, we're not taking advantage of our relationship as sons and daughters. We have these rights as sons and daughters to ask and seek and knock. We're co-heirs. Our Father cares about us. He wants to give us good gifts. He hears us. You know why He hears us? Because Jesus is actually interceding for us as we speak. Imagine this picture in heaven. This is what's happening. God the Father is sitting here. Jesus is at His right hand, and the Scriptures say Jesus is interceding for us. So He is talking to God the Father about all of us by name that are children of God down here on earth. He's saying, help Him. Give Him peace. Give Him strength. Give Him that. And Jesus is interceding for us. When you're at your kitchen table or where you're in your favorite chair or when you're at work or when you're at class, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And that is is really good news. So when we don't pray, when we fail to pray, he is still praying for us. Everything that God feels for Jesus, he feels for us. He loves Jesus. He wants to give good gifts to Jesus. He wants to exalt Jesus. He wants, to, he wants Jesus at his right hand. And because of what Jesus has done, he feels the same way for us. But here's the secret to this whole thing, right? Like when we pray, the primary reason we pray is not because God can give us something we want or what we don't want, but we pray because we get him. We get his presence. We get to feel the love of the Father. And hopefully in that moment, that's what we need. Not the things we're asking for, but what we need most is the presence and the love of the Father. I think if we understood this relationship completely, it would radically change our lives. It would definitely help with the issue of prayerlessness, right? Like if we fully understood, fully grasped our relationship to the Father, it would change. But I have a lot, a long ways to go in this area. We all have a long ways to go. None of us is fully going to get this on this side of heaven. And we all need help. We all need help. We all need to ask God to help us and teach us how to pray. There's one thing we can do, and he tells us here. We ask, we seek, we knock, we pursue, we go after God as much as possible, okay? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to take three minutes here, um, and I'll close this after these three minutes, but I want to practice this, okay? And this may be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. Like we just talked about praying. Let's actually practice what we're talking about here, okay? Okay? So we're just going to sit in silence for three minutes, 180 seconds. It's probably going to feel a long time if you're not used to doing this, okay? Um, But I just want you to talk to God. Again, this is a relationship. Don't overthink it. Just think about God as your father. And you could whisper or talk to God silently. Um, And and I just want to do this. I want us to feel how this feels, especially coming out of this teaching. Now, if you're here... Once again, you're not a follower of Jesus. This may seem really weird to you. 
But hopefully what you see is this, that if we as Christians believe this is who God is, why wouldn't we pray? Like hopefully you're thinking, if this is true about God, why aren't these people praying all the time? If God is this good, okay? So if that's you and you feel uncomfortable, just use this as quiet time. Use this as time to think and ponder and meditate some of the things we talked about, okay? But it's gonna be silent for three minutes and I'm gonna close this in prayer and then we're gonna move uh, towards communion. God, I know one of the things you want most from Christians, your children, is to know how you feel about us. And I know how I feel about my son, that I would, I would give up my life for my son. And you're I know, wanting me to see the same thing, that you've, you've already given your son up for me. And um, that, sh- that should break me. That should, that should make me feel like I'm no longer a slave. That I'm no longer enslaved to people's approval. No longer enslaved to wanting to control my life and my future. I'm no longer enslaved to the things that bring me temporary comfort in this world. So I pray for all of us in this room that you would help us. Help us um, believe this reality at a deep, deep level, deep in our, in our bones and in our soul that, that you're, the love that you have for us because of what your son has done. Help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.